take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of First Timothy chapter 3 for just a moment. First Timothy chapter 3. Our theme this year is, I will build my church. And I think we need a new resurgence, a revival in realizing the prominent place that the church needs to play in this country, in our homes, in our family, and in our own life. I think many of us have come to the conclusion that the church is not relevant any longer, not important, not of any use, just if you feel like it, you go. If you don't, stay home. I, I, I believe God has different plan for the church. I really do. I believe. I believe he really does. In your Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to begin a series of messages entitled, uh, I Will Build My Church on Sunday morning for the next few weeks. Boy, that looks like an egg instead of a pearl, don't it? Good job, Pearl. Did you know if you crushed that Pearl, it would be nothing except just useless ash and dust. To divide that Pearl or to cut that Pearl is to relinquish its worth. We're going to tie in the symbolic And the symbolism of that pearl and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in your Bible now. If you don't have a Bible, get close to somebody with one. Unless it's somebody else's wife. Then we would rather you just listen. We don't need no fist rights in the church house today, all right? But there should be a Bible there in your pew. And I, I, I want you to know. Other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of my family and of me personally, I attribute to a church just like this one. The church has helped me raise my family. You have been instrumental in helping me raise my family. I could not have raised my children To the extent that I did without you, I need you. Do you need how bad do you need us? Well, I can take church or I can leave it. Well, now I want to ask you, how's it going where you live? Please note this verse. How many of you believe the Bible? Come on. You believe the Bible. Say amen. amen. Now, I know I've been gone a lot this month, but I'm here to serve notice. I'm back. And I'm back to stay. I'm not traveling anymore. Every time I leave, I get sick, come back and I have to go to the hospital. I have no idea why. Must be the food in California. (laughs) Verse 15 of your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But 
If I tarry long, Paul said, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like it's kind of important. Is your house precious to you? Do you have your house locked up today to keep that which is precious to you safe? Do you like going home? Some of you are spending more money than you're worth just buying your house. If your house is important to you, do you think God's house is important to him? In the house of God. Further defined as the church of the living God. That's the assembling place. That's where God's family get together. That's where we come to eat. That's where we come to fellowship. That's where we come to get fed. That's where we come to encourage. That's where we come to get encouraged. I think if it's that important to God, it ought to be that important to us. And realizing as a family, we need to get together. We need to assemble. A lady responded to the pastor's sermon and said, Oh, preacher, that was a great sermon. I have been fed immensely. And the preacher said, Well, I hope not. She said, Why? He said, The last time you came, you got so much feed, you didn't come back for three months. Amen. The house of God. Not just any house. The house of God. The church of the living God. That makes it important to God. Dwelling place makes it important to me. And the pillar and ground of truth makes it important to the whole world. This world is going to hell in a handbasket because there's no longer any truth. Our educational institutions are now preaching and teaching that there's nothing really about truth. Everything is relevant. You know, I mean, just whatever is acceptable today. And and I just believe, ladies and gentlemen, that the church of the Lord Jesus is extremely important to God and to me and to the world and community which we live. Well... Why is it we attend her so spasmodic then if it is so important? Just wondering, I thought I'd throw that out there to you. 
In case some of you wasn't planning on coming back tonight. Now, please, to Matthew chapter 13. And I want to talk to you about just a little while. You say, how long? Somebody said the Mavericks were playing at 12. Right here on the platform, he lied. In front of God and everybody, my associate pastor just lied. He said, I have no idea when the Mavericks are playing. Well, my other associate probably does. Andrew, do you know what time they're playing? Not only is he lying about the Mavericks, he's lying about praying. Amen. (laughs) Verse 45 of Matthew 13. And the Bible says, Jesus is speaking. And he says again, the kingdom of heaven... Is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly perils, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. When he had found one pearl, of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. According to verse 3 of the same chapter, the Bible says that our Lord was speaking to those who were listening in parables. Verse 3, and he spake many things unto them in parables. Saying, Behold, a parable, according to the Bible, means to lay alongside or to compare. In other words, a parable would be this microphone almost looks like that microphone, comparing with one another. To get a truth about it. It's to lay alongside. It's to take an earthly story. With a heavenly meaning. It's to take the natural. And make a spiritual application. And so he's speaking in parables. Notice in verse number 10. His disciples questions him about that. In verse number 10, and the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them, not to the disciples, unto them, unbelievers, in parables? Jesus said, now don't forget, the disciples are there, non-believers are there, believers are there. Jesus answered and said unto them, because it is given Unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Verse 13, therefore 
Speak I to them in parables, because they see in, see not. Hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Kind of like when I tell some folks who says they're born again. How important church attendance is. Hearing, they hear not. Seeing, they see not. And they do not understand. Did everybody die on me? A preacher, I tell you, I just don't understand how important what you're trying to... No, hearing they hear not. Seeing they see not. Hearing and yet they do not understand. It's like me telling an infant baby, don't play on the freeway. (laughs) Hearing they hear not. Seeing they see not. Hearing and they don't understand. It's like telling your teenagers, don't date this kind of Dope. Well, teenagers are dope addicts. Well, I don't understand. He's an awful good guy. He's only been in jail three times this week, but his heart is good. Seeing they see not. Hearing they hear not. Hearing and they don't understand. Is there anybody here? Preach, I don't understand what you're saying. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For the foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know what Jesus said? Neither cast your perils before swine, lest they trample them under feet. We have filled our churches with non-believers. We filled our churches with folks who had an emotional uh, 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 experience, but no internal Moving and reformation and transformation of the Spirit of God. And we preach to folks who are naturally and has no spiritual discernment at all. Cannot see in the future. Cannot see what the family is headed for. Cannot see what the children are headed for. They see and see not. Hear and hear not. Hear and they don't understand. So our Lord spoke. In parables. Laid things alongside. But the spiritual discern could only see the natural. And they missed the spiritual. They could only see the dollar bill. They couldn't see eternal souls being saved. They could only see 
the fashion of the day. They can't comprehend this thing called holiness. They look at us like we're legalist when we're trying to be holy like God is holy at the command of God. And they can't see that. They see that as legalism because they're spiritually discerned. Oh, that's just the introduction. Please notice, in the parable, laying alongside a pearl, and describing a pearl, one pearl, the pearl, not any pearl, but one of great price. And when the merchant had found the one pearl far beyond value, he went And sold all that he had and bought it. He who was rich became poor. That we who were poor might become rich. We take this pearl. Just an ordinary natural entity. And our Lord is trying to show the spiritual crowd a heavenly application. Now what can we compare this pearl of great price to? Who was it, the merchant man, that made a long journey to come to find The pearl. Who was it that became flesh? And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Who was it that came into the field of this old world looking for a pearl? And could that pearl be the church? Can we, in a parable, lay alongside here the pearl of great price and get a spiritual, heavenly, priceless, precious application of the church of the Lord Jesus? Please notice, if you would please, the person of the parable. A merchant, perhaps had traveled a long distance. A merchant who in the beginning was with God and who in the beginning was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were created by him. And without him anything was made that was made. And seated in heaven, he looked down to this old world and saw a goodly pearl. And the word became flesh. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. And he made the long trip from heaven to earth. And came in the form of a little bitty baby. Coming to seek and to save 
that which was lost. That which to the devil was just a handicap. That which is a devil is just a commodity. But to the Savior, it cost him his life. And he thought you and I were worth the very best he could pay for us. A godly pearl, if you please. He came looking for me. He came seeking for me. Notice he did not come seeking other kind of jewels, such as denominations and, and powder groups and uh, uh, PTL club and uh, BULL club and all the other clubs. He did not come, bless your heart, looking for any other precious stone. He came looking for a goodly pearl. The one and only pearl. Notice, if you would please, he came seeking. He came seeking by the seaside to find Peter, James, and John. He came seeking down the highway and stopped by a sycamore tree to find Zacchaeus in the tree. Can you say amen now? He came to the graveyard, bless your heart, where a naked, lost, evil, wicked, naked man running to the graveyard. He comes seeking legion in the graveyard. By the way, where did he find you, my friend? In a hospital, maybe in a divorce court, maybe a jailhouse, uh, maybe uh, someplace along life's highway, maybe at the job, maybe down at the church. But thank God he came seeking for me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he loves you. Yes, he does. And I'm so glad he found me. He might have found some of you hanging on a bar stool someplace. Yeah. He might have found some of you contemplating suicide because life had fallen apart and it all was sinking. I don't know. But I know one thing. You wasn't seeking for him. He came seeking for you. Thank God. Thank God he comes seeking for me. Amen. Well, you say, why are you slowing down? Because I'm about to faint. I'm glad he came seeking for me. He found me yonder in a cock fight over a $2 bet. I kicked a man in the face over a $2 bet. And before I knew it, I had a 38 pistol sticking between my eyes. And when that hammer went back, it sounded like eternity had opened. And he said, Wolfenbarger, you're a dead man. I'm going to blow your brains out. I said to myself, is somebody trying to say something to me? I'm glad my God was gracious. I'm glad I took a big guy with me. I don't know where he found you. But you didn't find him. You didn't come here today accidentally. He's been working on you a long time to get you here. And you're here today because he came seeking for you. Oh, yes. Notice the person of the parable. Notice the peril. 
of the parable. Not just any pearl. Could I have an amen? amen. But a goodly pearl. One, notice, one of great price. You cannot know the worth of a thing until you have paid for it. A lot of our kids don't know the value of what they have because it didn't cost them anything. We in America today don't know the value of freedom because we hadn't fought for it. Many of you young men and ladies have fought for our freedom, but I didn't have to fight. Uh, when the draft was going on, I was born right in between too many kids and being ignorant. So they classified me 4F. And I said, that was okay with me. If I need one more kid, you wait a minute, I'll go get it. But you never know the value of a thing until you have had to pay for it. In the Bible days, in the first century, a pearl was esteemed with much more value than any other gem. They were more valuable than diamonds or anything else. And one good reason for that is with the difficulty by which you would obtain a pearl. They did not have scuba diving equipment in those days. Pearls are found not by the highway where you stumble over and accidentally find one uh, like they found one of the largest diamonds in the world when a guy got stuck with his Jeep and got out with a shovel. And began to dig his Jeep out and found like a 26-pound diamond. Dear God, I'm going to buy a Jeep. (laughs) But you don't find uh, uh, pearls accidentally stumbling around. If you're going to get a pearl, you've got to be determined, especially in the first century, because the way you got the diamond in the first century, they are in the muddy bottom of the ocean at least 40 feet deep. Your chances of finding a good pearl is... One out of 1,000. In other words, if you want to find a diamond, you've got to get a thousand at least oysters to find one. In the Bible days when this was written, you found a diamond by tying a large rock around your waist. And somebody pushed you off the boat. And down you go. I'm sure that most diamond hunters had not seen the movie Jaws or they would not go down. But with a large rock tied to the waist with only a rope, there blindly to fumble around in the bottom of the ocean in the muddy deep and come up with a goodly pearl. Exceedingly dangerous At the expense of the life of the diamond hunter, they got 
the di- I mean the, the pearls to the top of the water. Notice, if you please, the church is not called a diamond or a precious stone.